Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Uh, Leah Lamar, to what do I owe the honor of you joining me here on International Women's Day? I didn't post today, but I am having you on my podcast. Does that does that more than a post? Does that absolve me? It doesn't count because it's not being posted on International Women's Day. I, I don't. Maybe we need to make it International Women's Week. I don't know. Let's extend this thing for a couple of days. I have a feeling you wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> uh, who knows? Well, you know, we do ponder these things and as we're going to get into the unique uh, particularities of modern culture, all these new kind of so pseudo social media holidays, right? Whether it's International Don't, you know, uh, National Donuts Day, International Women's Day, and they seem all to have popped up. Do you think this is just for social media? I would think International Donut Day is really a should be something we do every week. Absolutely. And it tra traces back through the eras to our ancestors. I don't know. Everyone, any any culture that I want to associate with clearly is celebrated donuts at one point or the other. Of course. You know, when they were like, don't reinvent the wheel. They did. And they just turned it. <laughs> and that's all that happened, you know, and I say, let's keep reinventing the wheel. I'm Absolutely. No, in honor of uh, International Women's Day, let's keep on reinventing the wheel and perhaps scrape them across the uh, against the, the sidewalk um, while we're parking. But that was my failed <laughs> attempt at humor. Matt, thank you for failing. But also, what does it say about me that I'm spending International Women's Day with you? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to let you take that question. <laughs> I know it's, it's becoming very existential, honestly, as I'm sitting here realizing all the poor choices in my life that led me to this moment. Well, this is supposed to be a discussion of some con some content that ponders the ex these existential questions. So we're going to get to that. And, you know, who knows, once we're discussing the, the, the women and the gender politics of White Lotus or Tar or Triangle of Sadness, we're also going to discuss the gender politics of Leah Lamar and Matt Belinsky. But for all everybody out there, uh, if you haven't noticed yet, Leah Lamar is a comedian. She is uh, hilarious. Um, we first connected on Clubhouse during the, the right in the the boiling center of the pandemic. Um, and, uh, you know, as I'll tell you in just a moment or two what we're going to be talking about today. But first off, uh, Leah, why don't I let you introduce yourself? Thank you, Matt. I am a stand-up comedian, a TV host. I was the ex-clubhouse of Icon. I am a writer. Uh, I, I do a lot in the crypto NFT space, which I'm hesitant to talk about right now. <laughs> <laughs> not enough for international, not fodder for International Women's Day. Yeah, yeah, guys, don't don't stop listening to this podcast because I said that I promise not to bring it up again. <laughs> and so, um, Leah, you know, a friend of mine and someone whose humor and uh, cultural uh, cultural tastes I, I respect. Um, and I'm having her on here to discuss uh, three pieces of content that I believe are unique and that they're trying to comment and say things about the way society, you know, what society is in 2023. Because uh, uh, Ross Douthat of the New York Times, he wrote a piece that got me thinking. And it was about how, uh, sure, there's been conversations around how current cultural mores have impacted content in Hollywood and, you know, quote unquote, wokeness. And we can get to what the, the definition of that would be. But yes, if you're looking at how wokeness or, or recent cultural you know, evolution has impacted 
various aspects of American society, Hollywood and content. Oh, you can't make this joke. Oh, you can't say this. You have to hire this many people um, of this uh, demographic category for your film, uh, film or TV project, et cetera, et cetera. But while that all may be true, it seems like the content itself doesn't really reflect those cultural shifts. Um, I think, you know, doubt that said, uh, uh, the push for diversity hasn't necessarily affected a larger thematic transformation and similar to, to how if you're looking at the movies from the late tw- uh, 2010s and early 2020s, um, they don't really reflect the unique cultural, they don't reflect the uniqueness of the culture that we're existing in, like a lot of those gritty, cynical movies of the 1970s did, whether it's a a conversation or a taxi driver uh, or marathon man. And, you know, that that type of very specific cultural valence that you had or the rah-rah 80s with Top Gun. And you don't really get that. So I'm looking at uh, uh, got me pondering which pieces of content did try to say something about the, the society that we're existing in right now. Social commentary, social satire, which obviously is nothing new. But I think has been a little lacking in this really interesting era of social transformation. So the three pieces of content that I thought were worth synthesizing, White Lotus, uh, the HBO, you know, I guess there's two miniseries. Um, so there's two seasons of that so far, the film Tar and the film Triangle of Sadness. Um, and I think, you know, all super interesting and in whether or not you've watched any of those, I, I think that there's enough uh, fodder for discussion about, you know, cultural hostilities and 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 themes that we can really get into it and and have an interesting discussion here so let's get right into the gender politics here leah um i know you're a big fan of white lotus and i there's an interrupt you know uh, uh, one observation i made about white lotus and the gender relations that were portrayed by that show i'd love to get your thoughts it seems like white lotus although not being a particularly anti-woke show although it is in a certain couple certain respects um it does suggest that women still want a lot of the what the women's desires are still very traditional in one prioritizing attention from men and two wanting their male partners to occupy traditional masculine roles and qualities as opposed to being these so-called equal partners what do you think guilty um (laughs) (laughs) you know it's uh it's pretty funny because i have a joke about this where i say you know, I always thought I would have a guy take care of me in the long run where I'd marry like a really rich guy. And now I have a partner, um, which is interesting because we split the bills on everything. And mm-hmm. you didn't I don't know if you asked me about what my personal experience was, but I just wanted to make this about me immediately. No, of course. I, I, I only associate with people who do that. So that's why you're here. Yeah. Well, so, OK. So in season two, I think that we can agree that there's. Um, a bit of equality with Audrey Plaza and Will Sharp, Ethan and Harper. Mm. She's like this high powered lawyer. And uh, I guess what you would say, how some people, instead of her being um, like that, she would be called aggressive instead mm. of assertive, or, you know, bitchy instead of powerful. Um, and potentially. Right. But the relationship between Theo James and Megan Fahey, Cameron and Daphne, they obviously have the traditional stereotypical sort of man has the job, he holds the financial keys, and the woman just kind of rides along. And it's happy-go-lucky spending his money and having idle days. Right. And it appears that she's, that this arrangement works for both of them. Mm -hmm. It appears that, that this arrangement works for both of them, and that they can kind of go and do whatever they want sexually. 
um, Aubrey Plaza and Will Sharp, they have more of an equal relationship. And so it doesn't seem like they can go do whatever they want sexually. And they're a little more closed off to that because the mm-hmm. relationship isn't as transactional. But that's just an observation. I'll, you know what? The other thing that's so interesting to me is that I think in season one, let me just take a look at this cast here in season one cast. Um, well, also, of course, you have Jennifer Coolidge, who's just like helpless and hoping anyone will save her. Sure. Uh, but it, you, so you do mention that that Aubrey Plaza, that uh, the the Ethan Harper relationship is kind of framed as the equal partnership, the more modern, you know, professional woman, professional man, not so much of an o- overbearing male, more of an equal partnership. But they still and this is what's interesting about White Lotus is that it, it always shows both the 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 light and the shadow of all these different tropes and stereotypes, because then it, it's revealed that their relationship isn't that healthy because Aubrey Plaza realizes that her husband's not that, or at least she suspects her husband's not that sexually attracted to her anymore, right? Right. So this more equal partnership is on the much like Daphne and uh, and Cameron's relationship that's more on the surface, you know, uh, materialistic and vapid. Their relate, but kind of belies deeper rot the relationship between the supposedly equal couple is also a facade because you know you've got the wife suspecting at the end of the day a more traditional feminine concern that her husband's not attracted to her it seems actually like no one is happy with monogamy (laughs) also that yeah yep also part of it you know and as someone who's recently married i will say (laughs) uh you know very recently married so i'm still in the honeymoon stage but um i will say that i've I've noticed, especially in Hollywood and um, in New York as well, because I'm from there, that that relationships do seem to run closer to these stereotypical relationships that you see in Mm -hmm. TV and movies, especially like the one between Cameron and Daphne. I look, do I want a guy to pay for my dinner every time we go out? Yeah. Yeah, I do, Matt. (laughs) I do. Um, But do I make good money? And can I afford to take my husband out for dinner? Mm -hmm. I can't. Um, You know, I think there's a little bit of give and take there. It doesn't at all clock me. Like, I don't actually think about it at all. I'm used to dating people where I think they would be almost offended or appalled if I even pulled out my wallet. I would be one of them. Well, missed opportunity, man. Missed opportunity, <laughs> swing and a miss. Ships passing in the night there. Oh well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you know, obviously, I didn't mind that. I let, I enjoyed saving my money. I enjoyed mm-hmm. feeling the feeling of being taken care of. Um, but I do also realize that it did feel a bit transactional. And mm-hmm. so my husband and I do take turns on a lot of things. He pays for a lot of things. I pay for. I would actually say we're pretty fifty fifty now. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I've never experienced before. And I now money isn't even an indicator of there's no issue. We mm-hmm. don't we don't discuss it. There's never any tension based around it, which I think is the first thing that you try and this is that there's mm-hmm. obviously a ton of resentment around money and who pays the bills. Mm-hmm. And so, and not your your personal experience is certainly relevant as well. But in terms of the broader spectrum uh, that I think 
you know, White Lotus is trying to portray and the triangle sadness clearly tried to portray. And it, it, there's another element there because it's a male model and a female model. And like pretty much all uh, industries in which, you know, uh, you're paid, ba- essentially you, uh, humans are commodified. The females earn more, right? Young, pretty female, being young, pretty and female is more valued in the marketplace than being young, pretty and male, right? So the fem- female model makes more money. Um, and the male believes that, she wants him to pre- present himself more as a more modern man who sees this as more of a best friendship and a, and a marriage of equals. And she's she's dismissing that. She's not having that. Um, and do you think that that, as you mentioned, where at the it, that at the end of the day, while you you would, and most of your most of your female friends, while they would like their the majority of the relationship to be more reflective of current current values and more of an equal partnership at the end let's call it tie goes to the runner when it's a tie when at the end of the day if you put a gun to their head and said you had to choose in kind of one of these edge scenarios that the man still has to portray himself um in that you know uh, in that traditional mode and be a provider and failure to do that is still going to be held against him i think if it's a first second or third date a man should always pay Mm mm-hmm and then I think if you start going to dating territory, I do think it is important to talk about finances. Obviously, that's really important in a relationship. But we also have to think about where it comes from. And it stems from the fact that men stereotypically make way more money on the dollar than women do. So if we're going under that pretense that men are making more money, then why wouldn't they pay for dinner? Sure. Of course. No, there's now, no... Oh, continue. So well, well, no, in a modern day, like... I think, uh, you know, especially when women are now starting to make more money, mm-hmm. it's and if if you're if we're going based off of who makes more money should pay more often, then fine, right? But uh, for me, I look at Barbara Streisand, mm-hmm. one of my idols. Her and James Brolin have been married for a million years, and they say that the key to their relationship is that they have separate bank accounts mm-hmm. and they never mm-hmm. talk about money. Yeah. And that's kind of a a strange kind of vulgar way to apportion it, right? That it should be just based on dollars and cents and be be a math equation as opposed to based somewhat on, you know, um, on on some inherent qualities of man, man and female, uh, male and female. And this popped up in a couple different manifested itself in a couple different storylines with White Lotus, because in season one also uh, just beyond kind of the portrayal of, you know, is it healthier to have more of an equal partnership or the, the you know, the the traditional fantasy uh, fantasy life. Um, the first season portrayed a very high powered Cheryl uh, Sandberg lean in tech CEO female that was married to more of a beta male who was constantly concerned. Mark, who was played by Steven Zahn, who was constantly concerned about his status in the relationship, um, and, and clearly took the back seat. Like it, it was not, this was not a question. It was it was clear that the female was taking lead in the relationship, but it seemed like the relationship didn't repair itself until he asserted himself and showed more, you know, that stood up and put himself at physical risk and showed some of more those uh, more traditional masculine qualities. And that seemed to have made up for his financial shortfall. There's no argument there, Matt. The jury rests your honor. Oh no, but it was it wasn't an argument. I mean, do you do you did you see that in what they were trying to present? Yeah, you know, I whether think or not they, you agree with it, did, did it seem like that's what they were trying to present? I think that's what they were trying to present. And obviously, they don't have stereotypical gender roles. But I think what they are portraying is that one person holds more power than the other and that the person who has a better job title or makes more money is always the person who's in charge. Mm-hmm. 
So it just happened to be Connie Breton in this version of the story rather than her husband, who, by the way, I think she's very talented. And I never stopped laughing when she that scene where she goes in there and she goes, your brother's stroking out. In <laughs> no, she was great. She stole the show in season one. <laughs> she's fantastic. I mean, season one was so long ago and I would definitely need a refresher. But mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you if I had a favorite between both seasons, but I think obviously the common threat through line here is that we're engaging in stereotypical conversations about gender roles and uh, power dynamics between older people versus younger people, mm-hmm. uh, men versus women. And also it's clearly all these people are in the upper echelon of society. And so I think that it's like peeling back a layer of the onion that the public doesn't get to see if they're not mm-hmm. in this upper echelon. And so everyone kind of wants to know what it's like being mm-hmm. in that scene. And I think that it makes people feel better to see that everyone has problems and that they're all kind of, doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't make your problems go away. Yeah, no, I see these people knock down a peg. Um, and definitely the the ex- exploration, the first third, the, the first act of Triangle of Sadness was clearly an exploration of gender roles and, you know, the modern, the contrast between what, are, what they are in 2023 amongst Instagram couples and what they were traditionally understood to be. Um, I mean, what did you see in that relationship between Carl, the male model and his, you know, more successful girlfriend, Yaya, um, because that did have a significant financial component and it also plays into a lot of the commentary around uh, social media celebrities. Um, remember one of the, one of the observers was like, oh, so her looks are paying for this trip. And that's a common, that, that is a consistent, that is, that is a foundational, con, uh, uh, feature of a lot of these relationships of people who are, have social media followings is like one person's looks are paying for a lot of the things that they're getting through, you know, through essentially voyeurism on social media. Um, how did you see that relationship between the two of them? I thought it was so depressing. I couldn't even, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I wish I could date for status. Uh, man, I would have had a much different career by now, but um, those days have passed me, Matt. I'm mm-hmm. a married woman. Uh, my morals are just so high. I mean. No, a woman of virtue, clearly. <laughs> yeah, my-, Impe- my Impenetrable my, virtue. And the first Khalifa. I mean, just all the way up there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't realize at first that they were only together for social media, only because you never see their Instagrams. You don't see how many followers they have. Mm-hmm. You think from the opening scene that he doesn't have any followers, mm-hmm. because if he was actually that popular, then I don't think he would need to go to such a horrible casting like that, because at a certain point, you're just got, you're given offers. You're not mm-hmm. humiliated in front of a group of people. So I was under the impression he had much lower status. Well, I think here's... Well, okay, here's it seems that there's there is an echelon of social media uh, of, of social media influencer personality that has somewhat of a following enough of them f- to be getting the attention, but it does, but not at the point where it translates to dollars. So you have, you know, you're a dude with 30, 20, 30,000, 40,000 followers. Um, that's enough that you're uh, bombarded all day long with people who want to see something from you or expect to see something from you or all that attention not that I would know. Um, but that's not necessarily at that point, you're not making, you're not getting offered trips to go, uh, uh free stays on luxury yachts for a week your girlfriend that might have 500,000 or 2 million followers and is a big deal and just has horny men chomping at the bits for her on social media all day long and is able to transmute that into into economic value she's getting off with these things right oh, yeah. so he might 
right? So he's still he has ju- he's he's in kind of a no man's land of just enough attention and and he's just famous enough to feel like he is part of that he's playing that game, but he it doesn't translate to the economic support. The thing that's interesting to me is that she's so hot that mm. I think in real life, this is a real life scenario. She's so hot. She's so stunningly beautiful. If she wanted to date an older, richer guy, she could do it in a second. So I never believed her. That was my mm. issue. That I thought that she just kind of liked poking at him and making him feel insecure. That's mm-hmm. what it felt like to me. And she could have any guy at the drop of a dime. She liked abusing him. She And she even said that she's so good at manipulating. Mm-hmm. I think that she enjoyed it. Um, she enjoyed emasculating him. And she enjoyed abusing him, in my opinion. That being said, um, she has passed away in real life, so... That and that, I didn't know that. That was crazy. I couldn't believe it. I go and do a little research on this movie, and this starlet who I, I, I just the second she hits the screen, it's like the first time you see Margot Robbie. You're like, oh my god, that's a star. And then I, you know, I'm gonna be hearing, how did I not hear of this girl previously? And then you go and she died just before the movie was released. It's a wild story. Wild. But I just want to say, so I dated a guy once who had five million followers, and at mm-hmm. the time I had no notoriety, and we dated for a year. I had maybe 17,000 followers at that time. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, not much more now. Like, I have 100,000. No, no, no. It's gross. Right, okay, okay. You can do Okay, yeah, yeah. You Bye. get a multiplier. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so he had 5 million followers. He's very famous in the country he's from. And <laughs> I'll put it that way. Uh, <laughs> and when he came to America, he was, let's say, not as famous. Uh, <laughs> Which was interesting because uh, he's famous in a specific country. And um, like when we would go to restaurants, like all the people that work there would come up to him. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. But like none of the Americans would know who he was. It it is pretty wild how fragmented and how how niche it is. Well, okay. But my point is he would get free shit all the time he would Mm -hmm. get all of these trips he would Mm -hmm. go he'd get like vip experiences to festivals uh cruises for like two weeks like the most vip most luxury of everything every brand sent him stuff all the time he never gave me anything from (laughs) he never posted about me because i literally couldn't help his career Uh uh-huh he told me that if we were together for more than a year he'd have his pr team introduce me We broke up. Ouch. With him. Yeah. Well, I broke up with him. So, got it. Um, no, you got your revenge. You were plotting. You were waiting to. Uh, you were waiting, waiting to drop the anvil. Yeah. Thank you. Um. And and the interesting part of all of it was that there was a girl that he was flirting with on Instagram in the messages, and I could see all these fans going crazy and then making mm-hmm. separate fan accounts about them being a couple. And Whoa. I was like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Are you this person? And he was like, no, it's just good for press to make it seem like. It. And yeah. so that to me, I was like, oh, this is real. Mm-hmm. It's a complete fabricated relationship to play off each other's followers to gain more followers for each other. Yeah. Happens all the time. And they were just friends. I didn't even know that was a thing. It's pretty weird. I mean, I- I'm not that shocked that he did it. I am that shocked that he didn't kind of clear it with you first. You're in a relationship oh. with someone. He well, didn't he also clear-, clear it with me that he was cheating with me on two other people, but like, got you, know- it, got it, got it. Well, that, you might not clear. <laughs> um, I don't think he cleared the chlamydia, but thank God I never. <laughs> you know? I mean, I think the kind he got was like super chlamydia, but 
um, I, yeah, I just found that really interesting. And so then when I, when Yaya and Carl were, ta- were talking about this sort of dynamic, I was just like, oof, that's so rough. But they're also both like very beautiful young people. Mm-hmm. So obviously the dynamic gets very interesting as the movie moves along because mm-hmm. you start to see what actually can, is considered, uh, what's actually considered as value. Yeah. So when you're on a yacht and you're getting a trip for free, your value is your beauty and your youth. Mm-hmm. nothing that you say um nothing that you do just photos of you and that's it right she doesn't even get the pasta like she's <laughs> oh no i mean it's so wild and i'm yeah. like loving the russian capitalist just being he's like i sell shit that's what i do and i'm on this fucking yacht with my daughter yeah. and, my wife that I don't and he was somewhat more charming although you know obviously kind of vulgar in his own way but far you know more fun loving and charming but that's the thing is that no matter what situation he was always a survivor yeah yeah yeah, farming and adaptable, and because he was used to selling shit, he was used to he had no morals. He was mm-hmm. morally bankrupt, so he was willing to do whatever or say whatever in order to win. So then, obviously, when the boat sinks from the grenade from the pirate ship, that's ironically something that was created by one of the men who was on the yacht. Yeah, you know they're they're forcing that one a little bit, and also I I didn't the what was on the screen I did not seem to portray the pirate attack whatsoever. It's just like one cut from the grenade. Did you see it at all? I, I had to go look that up. No, I looked it up, yeah. and I thought I missed something. Honestly, same. What happened? Um, and then when they're like, "Are you a pirate? Are you a pirate?" I was like, "Oh, so we're supposed to believe that?" It felt like they forgot to film it, and they're like, "We'll just throw in." The sentence or the, um, is one of those things where the director wants to be he, he wants to portray how clever he is that he does something unorthodox and it really just leaves the the audience scratching their head but hey there might be some film student who thinks what he did is cool well what i thought was cool to be honest and hilarious was the entire downfall of the odd mm-hmm. i laughed hysterically watching the vomits it's like you think no, it's gonna- i mean i knew you were a dark chick i don't know you're quite this dark this is like trench coat mafia level dark should i be concerned about you how much marilyn manson have you been listening to for everyone out there who hasn't watched triangle of sadness this is a, a an a, just an obnoxiously and you know overwrought half hour 45 minutes of just vomit and diarrhea that you know obviously if you're on a ship that you're you, there's no there's no plumbing there's no indoor plumbing okay right so the ship is holding anything that's flushed down the toilets and the toilets are overflowing and it's just the passengers getting seasick and vomiting and defecating all over the place for half an hour and leah apparently you know found uh, uh, really connected with that scene interesting i mean it was just so slapstick them like slipping and <laughs> vomit, like the shit just coming out and coming everywhere yeah, the, and the like, shit was really going the shit was hitting the fan yes it was literally hitting the fan um i i mean i literally laughed my ass off i was like this should have been sponsored by pepto-bismol <laughs> it was unbelievable and and also though the whole time it was happening you're watching these extremely wealthy people try to pretend like nothing bad is happening where they're yeah, yeah. storm and they're all super seasick and they're trying to chug champagne between sips of like but yeah, between yeah. they're trying to wash their vomit off by with chugging champagne really get get the taste out of their mouth yeah and i got it was like a little on the nose but i think i loved it i think i was like you know what i haven't seen something like this that's just so obvious that throws it in your face where you have to just say okay so they're exactly showing and telling us what some people are unwilling to say they're spoon mm-hmm. 
and see that's that's the thing and that's what was was interesting about trying to analyze that movie and a couple others and a couple others of the piece of content we were talking about is this all seems like a lost art they were willing to give them cut them a little slack on being the guy who wears the shirt of the band to the band's concert right being too literal and too on the nose because no so few other people seem to be commenting on the stuff and that's what always struck me about white lotus it's like okay um whether or not i agree with all of it and i agree with enough of it um at least someone is commenting on and you're trying to portray in a fictional man or a satirical manner the types of people and the characters that we we seem to be coming across in our daily lives these days that may not have existed you know existed in prior eras and this isn't the first time that begs an interesting question in terms of the the kind of economic politics of it all and the the class politics of it all is that listen? This is not the first time that someone's lampooned rich, obnoxious, vulgar people, right? And how out of touch, and how they can't survive outside their little bubble. But it does beg the question: of, Are the rich, beautiful people of our era more vulgar, obnoxious, and vapid than the rich, beautiful people of any other era? And I think that seems to be a question that these that these this TV show and these movies are are, are asking. And we'll have more of the prevailing narrative after the break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think consistently morally bankrupt and vile throughout history. It's just on different levels. Now it's through photos. And I mean, just kind of like the lowest, the easiest possible route for mm. disintegration of society is just taking a photo. And somehow this is like the peak of luxury and beauty. And just mm-hmm. like taking a photo of herself is so valuable for some yeah. reason. Um, while I think, you know, 100 years ago or 50 years ago, the height of MGM studios and all of this different types of wealth different types of wealth and different types of behaviors mm-hmm. considered, I think, grotesque. Um, I mean, I think I was also like different types of money. I think there were fewer wealthy people then. Well, there were that. See, that's, that's it. I think it's also, uh, uh, it's a functional thing, right? In that, in terms of just how much money is out there, how many wealthy people that are out there. And in terms of, uh, v- uh vapidity, um, and, uh, uh, it's how many screens are out there. Right. It's like we have we haven't uh, multiplied the number of screens and the number of people who are able to make money off portraying themselves on a screen by three X or four X. It's more like three or, or 30 or 40 million X. Right. Over the past 10, 20 years. Not that long ago, there were just a handful of people who were rich from either being in a magazine, a runway on television. And there are only a handful of stations or the couple hundred movies that were released every year. You've now I mean, add a few zeros to how many people can portray that, you know, can gain some some sort of notoriety through you know being beautiful and charming and portraying themselves as glamorous on a screen right so it's like i think that force multiplier has made us all um uh 
all more shallow and all more materialistic and all more, you know, someone said the line, uh, everybody's beautiful, but nobody's horny. It's like everybody's so focused. <laughs> I knew that one would land with you. Um, everybody is so focused on their on their facade and just presenting a beautiful, you know, uh, a beautiful image on a screen that like that's soaked up some so much of everybody's soul and life force that just the the primitive pleasures or our primitive instincts and the pleasures that, fl- that flow through them um, have kind of been dissolved a little bit. Yeah, I hear all that. I mean, I also think, uh, you know, 60 years ago, 50 years, whenever whenever the film industry was booming and there was like, a, I think a good 20 year period, maybe even more, where mm-hmm. every studio is run by man. No questions asked, all run by men. Um, and 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 the thing was that I think that these wealthy men were allowed to get away with a little more. So the the second that you had a female that was then owned by the studio, you would then use their sex appeal. So are you referring more to the golden age of Hollywood in the studio system, like the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s? Are you thinking about a little more recent where it still was male dominant, but you had the Sherry Lansings and the Nina Jacobsons of the world that still like pushed some weight? Uh, yeah. No, you know what? I I think if we go back to just the golden age of Hollywood when we're talking uh-huh. about uh, the yeah, 100% male male uh, management. At that point. Hollywood, Absolutely. Hollywood producers are encouraging women to get the starlet surgeries, um, using them 100% for their sex appeal. And the difference between now and then, I think, for the most part, is that it the idea for women to use their sexuality was more of a man's idea for how mm-hmm. they portray mm-hmm. these women. And now like Yaya's character in Triangle of Sadness, it's kind of her idea to use her looks for professional gain. You know, she mm-hmm. take photos of me here, take photos of me there. She's yeah. flirting with anyone who will look at her. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the guy who's like, I'll get you a Rolex. You know, suddenly she's like, dance with me, dance with me. You know, so, yeah. so the tables have turned a little. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, like, I don't judge her. I would never judge someone for something that makes them happy, right? It's like, that's you. Uh, but you wouldn't, that's that's a very general statement because it does, there's gotta be some boundaries there, uh, yeah, right? There's boundaries and there's always- And, a and so, and so, and- uh uh-huh. I mean, look, uh, you know, I'm dating someone who I consider an equal, um, mm-hmm. like a partner versus someone who's in this sort of situation and she's talking about being a trophy wife, older than me, makes more money than me so that I don't have to do anything. That's kind of like never been my MO. Mm -hmm. Would I be happy to be with someone who made so much more money than me that I didn't have to do anything? Mm -hmm. Maybe, but I'm always going to do something. Like I'm not kind of the person just sit around and do nothing. Like I got, for sure. you know what I mean? Um, Like even if I'm a, like a billionaire, I'm going to be like, yeah, I got dick jokes, right? I'll see you in a bit. (laughs) Uh, That's just, I just, I don't have it in me. That is your vocation. It is what you were put on this earth to do. Thank you. Of course. My parents will be honored to hear that. Of course, as the Queen Kate, you know, hovers over hovers over your left shoulder for International Women's Day. But you you bring up an interesting point about the judgment, the the evolution of how we judge women who have decided to uh, take the reins of their own life and and uh, reach in financial in, uh, finan- become financially independent through X Y Z means, right? And in one way with these females who, yes, uh, up until a few years ago, unless you were really a top fashion model that was a very small cohort, that it, that was per- unless you were a mem- member of that sorority, you were on the outside looking in. You did you weren't able to generate any financial independence yourself. Now with the proliferation of social media, same thing. Added a couple zeros to the amount of women who were. Able 
able to do that. Um, and that, sure, y- you can look at that at someone who is being who simply maybe in a fairly shallow manner. Um, uh, falsifying some aspects of her own life for social media and getting free shit because of it. And hey, who's to judge that? Um, but but that there's one other piece to that because that it, it, same thing. If you take that to its logical end, if you keep on going on that path, you find some people justifying some behavior that was traditionally taboo and frowned upon that we're now being told should not be taboo and should not be frowned upon, should be uh, should is valid and legitimate, but maybe start getting into the place where society should have some boundaries. And I think that was expressed through the characters of Mia and Lucia in season two of White Lotus because they're hookers, right? And Mike White, the 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 voice, the the brains behind White Lotus is a, a gay man, right? So on the one hand, you're thinking, okay, he's gonna um, take a more masculine tack towards it, but he's all he's also gay, and a lot of people are kind of uh, a little surprised that some of his politics through White Lotus weren't quite as liberal as they were expecting because he's a gay man. But that is a conversation. Well, no, we're actually going to talk about that in a minute. But first, bisexual, but go on. I think he's gay. Yeah, let's just. I, I mean, you might. Uh, the fact that I'm not even going to stop the podcast to Google. No, it. check that out. Hey, Jamie, go to the tape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jamie, pull up. <laughs> pull up, pull up the Mike White. Okay. Wait, does he? He like pussy too? Yeah, I hate to say this, but he's openly bisexual. Oof. All right. So, anyways, he's gay. Okay, um, no, okay he's bisexual. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I I just want to go back to one thing because I feel like we didn't come full circle on this. Okay. The between Carl and Yaya. So once mm. once the ship collapses it's shipwrecked a couple of people wash on shore and now that they're back to the basics of human society just rudimentary like absolute basics that you need to survive and everything is survival based not Mm -hmm. look based not what can you sell based it's literally how can we eat Mm -hmm. and how do we drink water like and how do we seek shelter and so the dynamic changes immediately when the only person on the island who knows how to actually fend for food, hunt and gather, is someone who was previously on the ship as mm-hmm. the toilet manager. Yeah, who's not glamorous or beautiful, but she's super functional. Yes, and she's older, mm-hmm. and she's older, and she was the toilet cleaner, so she was considered low on the totem pole. But then the second that she gets the island, she's the captain, mm-hmm. and obviously, what she does is she wants Carl because yeah. he's young and hot. And Yaya is left to essentially fend for herself because she's not really dating Carl anymore. Mm -hmm. Carl is now dating the more successful person on the island. And it's interesting to see how quickly those dynamics shifted when at first Carl was yelling at Yaya not to talk to this, like, oh, you Mm -hmm. want a trophy wife thing, this and that. And then he became a trophy wife. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He he was entirely there to be used. He, He was a boy toy. He was he was a toy. He was an ornament. Um, and we saw what happened when beauty and looks all of a sudden and youth all, all of a sudden have no function and have no value uh, in this in the specific circumstances. But also, you know, the it complicates the politics and the message of it all because the female. What, what was her name? Was it? And God, what was the name of of the uh, the toilet cleaner? Um, uh, her name is Abigail. Abigail. Abigail, the the older, not glamorous, not pretty toilet cleaner, was the only one who could fish or knew how to do anything on the island. As soon as she did get some power, starts abusing the power in a sexual manner. She takes she takes the, the she pursues the sexual desire that she had and takes the the boy toy ornament that she wanted. And it really it's you know it's trying to show a, a slice of life that a, a power power will uh it will in, invariably lead people to exp- 
uh, exploring, you know, to asserting their their power, uh, to asserting themselves in this way and exercising their power over people in this manner, which is fascinating. And you know, something that's actually going to sidetrack us to tar because we have to talk about that before we get to the sex workers because it's too directly linked to another uh, dynamic of tar, tar was which we really. For me. I would say it took me like the first hour was so slow. I watched it. It was super. Hours. It was super slow. It was super slow. Um, <laughs> however, yeah, and also, but it felt like it was trying to portray something. And someone said it with with the uh, the setting being in Berlin in the winter. It's supposed to be cold and hollow, and it was definitely a cold and hollow movie. Um, and I think it was more punctuated with interesting stuff than overall inter- uh, interesting. But essentially, it seemed to be that they they inserted this high powered lesbian character who imitated all the worst aspects of what was traditionally high powered, you know, high powered white men, rich white men did that, you know, uh, abusing their power for sexual purposes, being callous to everybody else's concerns, um, you know, cheating on their spouse and, and kind of, you know, I, I don't know how you would put it in the lesbian world, but letting their dick do in the talking. And yeah, Kate Blanchett's lesbian, a very successful lesbian conductor character, let her dick do the, do the talking. She tried to fuck everything that moved. Um, and, in and, you know, in a lot of cases she was able to, because of her status and authority and, you know, personal qualities and it uh, eventually led, you know, got her in, uh, got her in hot water and it seems to suggest that regardless of your uh regardless of demographic character uh demographic which demographic uh, uh category you fall in um if you're given the chance if you have the power if you have the status you're the likelihood that you abuse it in this manner is pretty high and i think that's the kind of the through line message of all three of these programs is that well first yeah. of all Cape, by the way absolute oh yeah I mean, she, I could watch her for hours. I just wanted to reiterate that I loved her. Um, just the first hour was hard for me. But uh, yeah, I think that's the through line. I think through line is that power corrupts. And that's that. And people abuse power once they get it. And of course, once I get power, I will do exactly the same. <laughs> and I'm sure have to the extent that you got. No, what? You were the face of Clubhouse. I don't know. Let's be honest. huh? You were kind of picking picking your your groupies out of the crowd, weren't you? Oh, I mean, my my husband's younger than me, so it just case closed. Yeah, yeah, but I, I felt that that was super interesting. Is that you're almost uh, they're portraying uh, uh, this this character was supposed to be of a. Um, an oppressed or marginalized class, you know, both female, where she is on the on the intersectional totem pole of both female and gay, um, and they essentially created a more sophisticated Harvey Weinstein character out of her, um, and uh, and on the one hand, they the movie was also trying to portray, it wasn't just portraying her as a monster, it was also portraying her as probably right about a lot of things that she was clearly smarter, more sophisticated, and had a more mature. Uh, purview on histor- on history and historical members of her profession than the kind of woke, obnoxious kid that complained that you shouldn't be listening to Mozart or Bach because uh, they were white, you know, misogynistic, you know, evil men, evil white men of history. Uh, and she says, Jesus Christ, I mean, what you want to be judged on your on on your you know fixed immutable characteristics? You want to be judged on your work? That's clearly the healthier perspective. Yet at the same time, she was. She she was fitting the template of the abuse of powerful, uh, powerful men and asserting her herself in that to judge her for her work, not her character. And I do think that yeah, right, she had bad character because that's who she was. Right. Yeah. And I thought yeah. that was so interesting. I think the the student's name was Max and mm-hmm. their whole conversation was obviously 
it's it is exactly the power dynamic that you see in any movie of the a sociopathic or psychopathic um Harvey Weinstein character taking advantage of their situation and their status and their power and saying whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And obviously you could tell that the student was sensitive and that she was just like driving the stake in and turning sure. and she wanted to desensitize him and she wanted to upset him. And I think, you know, when she's talking about, can you separate the man from the music? Like that's mm-hmm. essentially what she was doing. She, do we still listen to Michael Jackson even though he inappropriately touched little boys and it's like I don't know anyone that stopped listening to Michael Jackson yeah yeah and uh, literally like people are listening to it right now probably as they're passing a private school or like a, you know what I mean so it's like you still do R. Kelly at karaoke yeah of course nobody's changed anything yeah. and you still pee on people just in like because why not you know <laughs> one of the greats. Yeah, much but, like R. Kelly of the opportunities there yes yeah so um, you know, I think it's it's really hard for people to not listen to remix to ignition. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's the saving grace of the of of the white man. I mean, there's very few songs that we can even attempt to dance to and like establish some sort of a rhythm. And remix to ignition uh, uh, happens to be one of them. So you know, R. Kelly is one of these. Oh God, yeah. But I, I do think that's the thing is, can you separate the man from the monster? Can you separate the man mm-hmm. from the music? It's all the same narrative. And obviously, in this case, she wants to be considered someone whose work precedes her, whether yeah. or not. She, she was telling on herself that in defending. Well, it was odd because the thing, the whole idea was that, OK, Harvey, want, you know, R. Kelly's done something that in any era would be well, just about any era would be considered taboo. Michael Jackson, what he appears to have done any era other than ancient Rome, I guess, considers to be taboo. Um, but what you know, what Bach was accused of doing was just going and having sex with a lot of women and ostensibly consensually and had had a lot of sex. I mean, but that's just Nick Cannon. Yeah. <laughs> now has a TV show. Do you yeah. know about that? where six women compete to have his next child and it's like i'm sorry that's called the bachelor yeah. but, <laughs> but 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 this is the thing is that it's heroic and accepted now but mm-hmm. for some reason uh he had an issue with someone having 20 kids exactly yes that the thing the the reason that this uh student was uncomfortable with listening or with elevating bach was not because he heard that bach you know poisoned school kids milk and right and was a murderer did something that would be a crime but just that he was a white man from historical era that seemed to be uh uh sexually promiscuous and sired 20 20 kids which at that point back then you know eight eight was just a day in the park okay a couple people made it up to 20 but six to eight and and at least four of those were going to die you know you're 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 rolling the dice back in 18th century germany um That that honestly isn't that many kids. I mean, like, Genghis Khan. No, no. I think what uh, twenty percent of people on Earth are in some way, shape, or form trace themselves back to Genghis Khan. I don't think we are. Yeah, me and you might be exceptions. Yeah, I I don't know. uh, Eventually, uh, the Jews weren't hot by then. I mean, we hadn't. We hadn't started assimilating by the time Genghis started spreading his seed. Um, but the, I love the complexity of that character. And I, I, it's interesting because I didn't even know this going into these three pieces of content, that there would be so many common characteristics and through lines. And it was really interesting. And that these characters that are trying to be portrayed as um, as representing some sort of moral failing are also redeemable in some way, shape or form. I mean, 
you know, uh, the the Kate Blanchett character is not portrayed as a complete monster. She's obviously very good at what she does and values what she does. And there's a reason that she's in the position that she's in. She seems to, well, I don't know about her as, as a parent. That was a little, that could have gone I a couple. Say her parenting skills to me was the only thing that you I could actually put my finger on as something that wasn't transactional. So hmm. while I wouldn't say that you should go threaten school children, I do think that you could tell that the one thing that she really did care about her, you know, she woke up in the middle of the night and her daughter called to her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, you might've picked up on this, but when she went to go threaten that other school child, she said, I'm Petra's father. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, which I thought was interesting. Um, yeah. But, but obviously there's a level of care there. I mean, obviously threatening another child is not something I think. And just for, for the audience out there who may not have seen this movie, essentially uh, Kate Blanchett has a an adopted daughter with her lesbian wife. And uh, apparently another girl was picking on her daughter at school and she approached the other child that was picking on her daughter and in no uncertain terms said i'm told about a six year six year old girl um i'm gonna ruin you and you know very much in in the typical child molester script uh uh uh, scripts trope that you know you tell anybody about this and they're not going to believe you and i'm going to ruin you and essentially intimidated a six-year-old into no longer bothering her child so on the one hand yes she was showing that maternal instinct and being care uh caring and protective but she couldn't help herself from abusing her power no, that that is definitely the through line there of her character. But I did feel like she really, the I felt like the only person that she actually cared about in the entire film was her daughter. Yeah, yeah. Tell she didn't really care about her wife. She wouldn't answer any of her phone calls. Um, it just felt like the bare necessities to get through and just have a wet blanket around. Yeah. But yeah, I thought to me, I felt like that was her redeeming quality. Wasn't her work, which mm-hmm. obviously I, I there are a lot of people who are talented in the world, but I think it was her affection for her daughter in my yeah. opinion yeah i mean i feel like they were trying to portray and that that kind of did animate a bit of the of the showdown with her and the woke student in that people who are so people who are so focused on excellence um in their profession seem to be in a lot of ways anti-woke because they think that there's no place for that level of sensitivity in try, trying to pursue that level of excellence seems like that might have been what was what was supposed to make sense about why she stood in such opposition to that the to her student i would i would agree with that philosophy if we're talking about dave Chappelle or donald trump or um (laughs) (laughs) nick cannon yeah nick cannon obviously um wow nick cannon has really taken a journey hasn't he wasn't he like (laughs) a child star and then he married mariah carey and now he's just popping out kids left and right i mean left and right unapologetically Good for him. Just yeah, hundred percent. Not that many, you know. Because for a while, you'd still for a while there, there'd be a few people here and there that would reach double digits. You'd always hear about this one. It might have been a football player. Might have been, you know, some a uh, uh, guy like Larry King who was married seven times, and people were having racking up five to six, seven marriages, and maybe hitting double di- double figures on the kids. Nick Cannon's the only member uh, of you know the only twenty first century character who's hitting double digits. Yeah, I mean, what a hell of a hero's journey. Do you know what I mean? No. <laughs> I, I really. <laughs> He's who Young had in mind, absolutely. Yeah, I hope him and Mariah Carey get back together. <laughs> um, I, also, I just want to say, I'm not in, in my home right now, and while I do love Kate Moss, if this was uh-huh. my house, this would be Barbara Streisand. Yeah, um, I would imagine it did see, uh, seem a little basic for your tastes. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Kate Moss is still amazing. Okay, but- inter- okay we got we to gotta explore this for International Women's Day. Kate Moss, the one woman that no woman has a bad thing to say about. Mm. And that's why she's on the wall. 
That's why she's on the wall. Yeah, you're going to steal that one off the wall. Barbara is going to have to take a bath. Barbara's going to the bathroom. Okay, maybe the kitchen, the living room. Kate. All the, every day with Kate Moss. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, God. Look, Barbara Streisand, apparently, I, I sometimes cry just at the thought of her name, but um, apparently- Very Linda Richmond right now. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Apparently, you're not allowed to look her in the eyes. Yeah, she's got, think about how many people try to look Barbara Streisand in the eye. I mean, she's at some point you hit your quota. Yeah, you don't look God in the eyes. Haven't you learned? <laughs> I, I I would like to one day be so successful that I can mandate that no one looks me in the eyes and that enough people have heard it that it's true that like random people in Los Angeles. Oh, oh that's one of the best. Yes, yes. And growing up in L.A., uh, that that was definitely one thing. It's like, OK, this this celebrity is one of those you can't look in the eye. OK, this is the celebrity that's been the urban legend that has has uh, escaped the, the horses at the barn on the legend about this person that there's such a dick. You can't look him in the eye. Stallone was one of those. I have no idea if it was true. Maybe everyone was looking sly in the eye or maybe because his grin and his mouth is so cockeyed. They just thought he was he thought that he was looking in the eye, but they're looking at him sideways. I don't know. But that was one of them. Streisand. Um, but I was at Gotham Comedy Club. I was two and a half years into comedy and I was doing a new case and who drops Jerry Seinfeld. Really? And they say, don't talk to Jerry. Mm -hmm. Don't approach Jerry. Don't look at Jerry. He's going to go on stage. He's going to do his thing. He's going to get back in the cab and leave. And Mm -hmm. what do I do? (laughs) I physically run into him Mm -hmm. as I'm trying to avoid doing the thing I was supposed to do. And I was like, I'm so sorry, Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> 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 Ran off into the corner like a freak. Uh, no, I would have no respect for you if you didn't do that. Thank you. Yeah. He did like an eight minute bit about raisins. And I was like, God, I'll never be this funny. And uh, <laughs> and then he literally got in his car and left. And I was like, you know what? I respect a man who has billions of dollars uh-huh. and still decides to go down to the local club to try out jokes and go home. Well, Jerry Seinfeld, you can tell, truly loves stand-up comedy. He wow. has a reverence. He loves it. Anytime you hear him talk about it, whether it's on his show interviewing other stand-up comedians, if you're hearing it, there are not that many interviews with him. If you can ever, I hope Howard Stern has not had it taken down from YouTube, but there's probably a 2013 Howard Stern, Jerry Seinfeld interview. That's probably, you know, I don't even want to imagine how what you're going to get. Um, so that one you have to go check out. Um, but he truly loves the art of stand-up comedy so that, that's something he's always going to do although i will admit when he went back out on tour i think it probably was about 2014 um he did one bit that was like shockingly out of date okay remember star 69 like how do you you know find out who called you right from back before we had cell phones and the, the number popped up all the time star 69 hasn't been a th- i'm 18 okay what were you saying yeah star 69 hasn't been a thing since at m- latest 2007 nobody even remembers it. at the time you know throughout throughout the 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 duration of uh throughout the course of star 69 you're like okay that's an interesting uh number choice for them but whatever it's star 69 haha there's probably some guy working for a telecoms company or or then you know uh the fcc that's sitting there laughing his ass off that this is star 69 jerry seinfeld in 2014 did a bit on star 69 I'm like, did he just write this bit in 1997 and want to do it so badly he didn't have a chance and decided to bust it back out like at least a decade after anyone had used Star 69 that it was no longer a part of society? <laughs> you know what? Comedy's hard. Comedy's hard. <laughs> Jerry needed some yeah, Star like, I, don't, I don't know if you watched the Chris Rock special that was on Netflix Saturday. It was live. Uh, can't wait. I haven't yet, but I can't wait. I mean, he did he did some jokes about abortion that I was just like, literally everyone has this joke. 
Mm-hmm. I, I can't even believe that this was told on a stage. Like he did a abortion joke about having mm-hmm. fun. You're such a. I could even tell just by seeing his energy. I, I heard the Jada bit and the Jada bit was still good, but look at the level of material he's working with. Like that's hard to fuck up. Like Chris Rock's going to knock that one out of the park. You can tell his energy. It's hard to keep, keep up that level of energy and excellence, you know, throughout the years. And you can, you can tell he's probably just, you know, a few years past his prime. I mean, he's one of the reasons I got into stand up. I, I love Chris Rock. I remember mm-hmm. seeing his specials being like, I shouldn't be watching this, but I just remember thinking <laughs> he's the funniest person on planet Earth and just seeing him laugh at his own jokes and his yeah. his like bright, shining brilliance. And uh, so, yeah, seeing the special, I mean, I loved everything about Will and Jada. I loved hearing about his personal life with his ex wife and his daughter and that stuff. But then, you know, there were the abortion jokes. That I was like, anyone could have said this. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as you say, hard, hard to get material. You never know. Like comedy's hard, you know. Sometimes you just like, what? What about this old? What about if I lift this old joke from eight years ago? Why not? You know. Yeah, just, yeah. Just a little filler material to get to your A material. Sometimes it happens, you know what I mean. But people like Louis C.K. Who, mm-hmm. God, you know what? People don't fucking skewer me, but I love Louis. I think he's one of like the greatest joke writers of all time. That is and incredible. I watched Sorry, his special Sorry, which I think you can get inbox on his website. I laughed the entire hour from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And it felt reminiscent of the old specials that you would watch where you just think, oh, wow, this was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. uh, a lot like modern specials now. I'm, are are I'm you an Eddie Murphy that. person? Yeah, of course. Wasn't okay. it Eddie I mean, Murphy? A lot of people, well, one, a lot of people aren't. Also, a lot of people just never were exposed to it because by the time they reached consciousness, he was a movie guy, not a stand up guy. They don't realize that Raw is just. I don't know. The first time I saw Raw was probably the most I ever I ever laughed in my life. Period. End of story. And just between the actual material and the physicality that he had to, had to engage in to make the material work, I was just like, "How does a human being do an hour and a half of this this well? Like, how is it possible?" And that's that's what great stand up is. Yeah, and and so when you watch great stand up, I think it's almost important, if not imperative to share with other people because the whole point of it is to spread joy you're like oh point of stand-up is to laugh so i do let people know that i love that special and i think that there are a lot of specials out there right now that aren't i wouldn't consider like even i wouldn't i don't even know if i laughed once a minute you know Mm -hmm. i get bored and i turn off after 15 minutes i'm like this feels more more of like a character profile Mm -hmm. we want Mm -hmm. to present this person we like them and we want them to do well um and there seems to be a yeah, well, it's, it seems to be a lot of that because in the streaming era, the, the they're casting a wider net, right? It's like you need more content. So the bar has been lowered for how big a comedian, how prominent you need to be to get a special because Netflix can pump out as much as possible. Like Comedy Central in 1997 only had so many programming hours. So you're only getting a special if you're a big deal, right? Now, uh, Netflix like, okay, we're sitting on some cash. We need to pump out content. We need new stuff. And let's just go take a flyer. Let's let's go throw a few bucks at this person and cast a wider net for stand-up. Absolutely. And we'll have more of the prevailing narrative after the break. Also, I yeah. didn't mean to take so far away from speaking about any of these three great programs that we were discussing. <laughs> so, What's all, you know, all social commentary, all, all commenting on, you know, trying to tell the story of what our society is like in this day and age. But there were two other uh, components, more specifically about White Lotus. Um, but, you know, I'm sure we could find them in, in the other two works as well. But one and, and discussing, tying back to when we talked about, you know, society's wow. purview and approach towards uh, judging women for how they, well, people in general for how they make money, but more specifically women that are making money somehow off their looks. 
looks, vanity, uh, a somewhat fabricated lifestyle, fine. Now, and a recent peculiar phenomenon is we're now trying to remove any taboo from making money off giving access to your vagina and to being a prostitute. And uh, we now, you no longer can, uh, the, I don't know when it happened, but no longer can refer to women who sell their body for sex as hookers. You have to refer to them as sex as sex workers, that it's some, and the implication being it's some sort of legitimate profession. Um, I have but some thoughts. <laughs> it is it is the oldest profession in the world, but there is some understanding that humans, that our, our, uh, our species has frailties, that we do, so we are inclined to do some things that are wrong and thus need some, uh, uh, that we, we need some counter force or some barriers or some boundaries around um, those instincts, urges and desires. And that is better for society if we have some of those boundaries and whether or not it's a 100% firm, you know, six foot uh, 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 encrusted, you know, enforced with steel boundary or kind of a looser boundary. Good to have those boundaries in place. No longer a boundary um, for selling your body, uh, selling your body for money. And now, you know, the terminology around prostitution, completely different, referred to as a sex worker. Then comes along Mike White and he portrays these two quote unquote sex workers, uh, me and Lucia, they're Italian sex workers. And they're out at this resort hunting for rich guys to seduce into sex so they can get paid. Um, and, then Mike White in White Lotus, he teases you with the the possibility, the suggestion that these are sympathetic characters, that really they are women who are just, you know, they're they're working, they're playing the cards that they were dealt. They're working with their talents and skills that they have and that the game is already rigged against people to, to attain wealth and financial independence anyways. So who can judge Mia and Lucia for being prostitutes? And, you know, and if men are going to be horny and throw money at them to have sex with them, why not take it? Right. And it teases that that that's the message of White Lotus. And then it comes in with, you know, you walk right into the left hook that, oh, they actually were just thieves and were just uh, defrauding guys. And they take advantage of the poor, you know, uh, too trusting, woke, young college student um, who tries to portray himself as a modern, sympathetic uh, a social justice type and does. And he says, I'm not a mark. He tells his dad, I'm not a mark. No, it turned out he was that. It, that's exactly what he was. He was being taken advantage of by these hookers who were trying to, you know, uh, peddle a false story uh, of owing their their pimp money to separate his dad from this from some cash did you, notice, did you notice that at the end has turned in just he becomes just like his grandpa and his dad at the very yeah. end yeah uh, when his grandpa him and his dad all turn to look at a hot girl's ass mm -hmm. it's like you see that he's no longer this woke guy he's someone who's willing to pay for sex mm -hmm. um well and just he, that and, is gonna and, mm -hmm. Well, no, I mean, look, I think that we should thank sex workers because without them, there would be way more school shootings. But <laughs> fair enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't think you can. I, I personally don't pass judgment on how people make their living as long as they're not hurting anyone. Um, in my opinion, it's like it's none of my it's none of my business. But are we it's entirely sure? Yeah, but are we entirely sure they're not hurting other people? Just like the guys, just like the guys who get hookers might yeah. be hurting someone. Both sides of that transaction. That's, they're that's on them. That's on them. Yeah, so but, like, but the other, it, it doesn't, but just like the, the fact that the, the hooker was offering the sex for the money doesn't absolve them of blame. The fact mm -hmm. that they, they came and, uh, and, 
uh, provided the other end of that transaction doesn't absolve them for blame. And this is kind of something that's unhealthy and undignified um, uh, at its core, that on a primitive level, this is a thing that is bad and that you know, it's not it it may not be as bad as it has been portrayed. But if it if if we're looking at the level of bad, it's more than zero. Yeah. I mean, look, am I guilty of uh, a a, spo- a brand sponsor, right? Where someone wants you to look good wearing something. And is have I ever been naked on the internet? Mm-hmm. No. Have I ever worn a bikini on the internet? Yes. Um but I don't really post stuff like that anymore, you know, but if you I look at photos a couple of cleavage even, shots over the years, cleavage for sure. Right. Like if you go on my Instagram right now, you'd see a red carpet of me where I'm wearing a very low cut V. Uh, we've mm-hmm. got cleavage for days and throwing out some leg. I even do a bit about it. Cause I did a whole, st- I did a stand-up show in this evening gown because I was mm-hmm. at a red carpet for premiere and then had to go straight to a stand-up show. And when I got to the stand-up show, I literally couldn't take my dress off because it was being held together by a piece of duct tape. That was, okay. <laughs> um, and then I like, I flashed the entire audience, you know, like I'm, I'm crazy. I don't care. But, um, I think like <laughs> I'm unhinged, Go for it. you know, but what, all. But, but was I getting paid by those audience members? No. So really who was it for? <laughs> <laughs> International women's day. Yeah. Daddy, do you love me now? Um, <laughs> so God, the hole is so big. Um, not the one down below, <laughs> but I, um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't judge people who I don't judge sex work. I personally don't partake in it because it's not for me. However, I know a lot of people who make a lot of money from it and they appear to be okay with it. Fair enough. I, I mean, we're, we're not, you know, yeah, I, you and I could go I, on about this for hours and trying to, uh, trying to have the, the seminal moral discussion over prostitution and that could be broken down a number of ways. But I think in terms of how it was portrayed on White Lotus, it was interesting how it was trying to tease you with the, the okay, the, the, the new operating system, the operating system that they try to install sometime around 2014, where hookers are now sex workers. And this is a completely innocent activity. And it really, these are just, uh, we haven't been noticing that these people have been victims of oppression or just trying to make a buck this entire time. Um, as opposed to them being kind of conniving and scheming and, and making money through unsavory manner, uh, methods. Um, and no, any, any kind of, you know, he flipped the scripts, he, he pulls the okie dokie on you last minute. And that's kind of some of the brilliance, right? Okie dokie is literally the whitest man term I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. No, oh, don't worry. I got more where that comes from. If you need me oh, to get I'm really sorry. white. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, this is... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, no, I see what you're saying. I think sex work is separate from being a con man. Certainly, certainly. But Mike White wanted to, he, it's like he wanted to lull the audience into, um, this, this sympathetic mindset for these characters. And it turns out that they're just con men. And, uh, it is some of the brilliance, brilliance of that show. Um, the other kind of modern tropes and characters that the, uh, the observations about you know, about our recent society that uh, Mike White seems to be making that a lot of other people may hint at, but don't really. I mean, the Gen Z characters are all like essentially, blank, you know, blank faced anxiety cases, right? Every I, young, I, I every- can't deal with them. I absolutely yeah. have just no respect for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, get over it. We all have anxiety. Yeah, it's yeah. Sex workers, a little sympathy. Gen Z anxiety cases, no sympathy from LL. No sympathy. I'm like, I'm sorry. I lived through 9-11. I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> Who 
Um, yeah, but it does the consistency with he and I'm sure it's he's a little older than us. Well, a little older than me and probably a lot older than you. I think he's in his 50s. But Mike White is probably looking at the youth that are grew up and got got sucked into the screens and sucked into their phones and never really came out and uh, are are have not really developed a lot of zest and, and verve and, and kind of light force. Um, and that's how he portrays these characters. That uh, you know, on season one, there was a you know the the young the, he was he was kind of the only redeeming character, but this young white male character who's kind of lost in his screen and gaming and just shit upon by everyone, including his sister, who kind of uh, takes a little pride in shitting on him because she wants to signal to all her college woke buddies that she's not too sympathetic to the plight of young white men like her brother. And uh, but the kid doesn't have much to him. I mean, he's he's sweet and innocent, but he's still wandering aimlessly and doughy faced. And similarly with the Porsche character. In, in season two, this, you know, uh, uh, just uh, kind of crumbling under a mountain of anxiety that the only place that she is in life is being an assistant to this rich, vapid woman um, and doesn't know what to do. And um, at the end of the day, you know, her her uh, once again, her solace comes in the, the idea that these men that she's attracted to, that, that the male gaze is really her solace. It really is what she desires. And then it leads her down paths to one, getting conned as well. And it seems that you know, good old Mike doesn't think too highly of our youth currently. Yeah, it's interesting because I used to also focus on um, the male gaze, you know, really just getting all the racking up those male fans. Oh, now yeah. I'm like, how do I email followers? <laughs> all I want is women to follow me. You know that I look at comments that people make on Facebook and YouTube and mm-hmm. comments are only for men and they are, for the most part, all vehemently mean. I mean, just really? like towards you. Mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Un- unreal. I actually there are so many cockroaches out there. It's unbelievable. Hey, I'm just like, should I message your wife that I can see your marriage? <laughs> Let her know of your little wrongdoing here. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's really interesting because I do think I, I posted on my Facebook and I said, I get a lot of hate from men on here. Why do you think that is? Mm-hmm. And a ton of people commented. And some of them were men who were just like, because you're better looking than them and you're funny and and they don't want you to have multiple things and it threatens them. They're insecure. They live in their mom's basements. And I'm like, but why is a mom's basement bad? Like, I think a dad's basement <laughs> is bad. <laughs> dad's basement, like that's where the pedophilia happens. And like, yeah. that, like yeah. a child is definitely changing wall so that is fascinating why why do we not assume losers are are doing anything from their dad's basement it's always their mom's basement people just think dads don't have basements if anything more basements are dad's basements i think so like i understand how hard it is to stop breastfeeding even when you're in your (laughs) mid-30s because it is probably the only tip they've ever sucked on but i I do wonder you know why isn't it your dad's basement why you know just make any sense and some people are like if it was your dad's basement, you know, because that means your dad was there and they had a good uh, male leader in the house. And so oh, they wow. wouldn't act like this. No, 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 no. no. That's, that's not what it is, because you are all dads, And this yeah. is what you're saying. Well, I'm going to so, actually give you my my explanation, which I think is more in line with your observation in that um, masculinity naturally aims towards aggression and hostility in a lot of ways. And when that goes bad, it gets really ugly. And the internet has given the the break on that, just like you know, there used to be breaks on uh, on certain sexual activity because it's taboo to conduct a financial transaction. A certain break on the natural male in, in, inclination for hostility and and violence. Um, the, there's now more opportunities for that. 
And it's this hostility and aggression is being expressed through talking shit on the internet as opposed to through other health, you know, healthier means. Um, and that unfortunately, yeah, I see some of the stuff, you know, I get a little bit of it, but I get it for a particular reason. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe the people like you exist. But I, I assume people look at me and like, okay, you know, I'm 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 picking on someone my own size, right? I mean, the things that people say in the comment sections of the DMs to female influencers are freaking batshit insane. It is definitely, it will not make you optimistic about humanity to see these comments. No, I will say though, I do get a fair share of DMs that are like, spit in my mouth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just just the real winners only. Um, uh, step on my balls. I'm just like, oh man, <laughs> personality. Okay, we're gonna, wait, that's gonna, we're gonna have to talk about one other thing here. The <laughs> other thing is like, how do these people leave the evidence in writing so much? And it's to, to me, it's always this thing about uh, uh, the the trope about feet pics. It was like all these dudes are so open with like easily being screenshotted that they that they tried to solicit feet pics from somebody. It's like, don't you keep that private? Isn't that something you don't want to portray to society? But they don't ha hesitate at all. It's like they're not even using a burner account. It's their account, the picture of them and their wife and their dog in their avatar. They're like soliciting feet pics. It's like, should you put this in writing? Why don't you like romance her a little bit and get a phone number and ask that it way? It's wild because I actually, I, I appreciate the honesty more of the not give a fuck attitude where you're like, you don't care if I'm caught. Like, for example, I was at the comedy store one night. This is like five years ago. Dave Chappelle drops in and he gets a phone call while he's on stage and he puts the phone up to the microphone. He tells everyone to be quiet. Shh. So he's just sitting there giggling away. Oh, and it's wow. these girls and they're screaming and they're in a nightclub. They're like, come on, get out. <laughs> and he's like, you know, where are you guys? And and they're like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm at home. <laughs> and, and like the whole audience is dying. Um, and and then uh uh they were like, come out, we're wearing sandals. <sighs> like the whole audience like breaks out into what? audience. And like we're, the whole audience just breaks out into laughter and we're all laughing. And then and then he mutes the phone, he goes, I fuck feet. <laughs> 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 and it was un it was truly Holy shit. Wow. in like, a lifetime of epic moments i don't know if anything know. tops that from Chappelle. oh unreal i mean god i love those like late nights with Chappelle at the store where like it's four in the morning you want to go home but he's sitting on stage smoking a cigarette having a glass of a whiskey and you get up to go to the bathroom and he goes where are you going are you leaving <laughs> you know, you're not to leave until he wants to leave he uh, just ca he'll just casually stroll into that comedy show and go work his magic and then it's dave's show yeah 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 and, and there's bless. nothing better there's nothing better no no you know th well those are you know that's that's why i need you for this conversation leah okay uh you comedians you are uh you're our new philosophers okay because sure we're sure not getting it from the people who are supposed to be teaching philosophy or doing philosophy or anything but yeah stand comedians and people who might you know cultural art art tours like mike white um who are not you know white i don't think white lotus is a comedy outright but um it uses comedy to make its points and its observations about society that those are the only people with any honesty in this day and age yeah i mean him just saying him having the balls to write a character that says these gays are trying to murder me yeah and that that becomes a saying that everyone says is pretty iconic and i would say hard to get away with this yeah, day and age. Uh, well that's another one i think i sent you something uh on this topic and and one you know i don't think we have time to go through it in depth but um uh, a lot and once again mike has the cover because apparently he's you know 
bisexual as opposed to gay um and that he his portrayal of the gay characters was far more uh, reminiscent of you know negative historical tropes about gay characters as shallow conniving scheming um you know sinister motives to corrupt the youth things of that nature but mike white you know seems to be saying listen and we can just have fun with that like, listen, it's it's a it's a show. Some of these people do exist, right? These people do. These people are not stereotypes because someone picked it out, you know, pulled them out of their ass. Um, gay characters can exhibit negative personal qualities, just like members of any other uh, demographic category. And you know, let's just have fun with it. And, and he does. Um, and that's why, yeah, there's just there's there's just so many layers to uh, to peel back. You know, with with White Lotus in what it says about society and not just what it says, but also what it's willing to say about society, because all these very a lot of things that we discussed here are very common, typical observations or or issues that that people are noticing. But very few people in Hollywood are willing to comment on them uh, other than the most cliched manner possible. And that's what was interesting about White Lotus, about Tar, about Triangle of Sadness is that, okay, someone went ahead and made made a piece of art about them and tried to say something here. I mean, the other thing, though, I think and and I I do see the note about gay characters in that being shed in that light. However, every character is, is abominable Correct. on the show. Yes, there's no character. So it's like you could just pick out any person and be like, oh, so you're just saying foreigners are bad people or yeah. you're saying rich people are bad people. Or you could point to any demographic and say that he's saying everyone sucks. <laughs> exactly. But as we all know, only straight white men suck. So in real life, you know. Exactly. Well, that's just, true. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's why I married it's a given. one. So exactly. You uh, needed someone like Yaya. You needed someone to stomp on. It, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, Jews don't count, but um, <laughs> other than that, yeah, I, uh, I mean, Jews can do no harm. Um, except no. All that, plenty of harm. But I think you know, <laughs> as, as a Jewish woman. Yeah, as a Jewish woman, uh, the as qualification. I take uh, as a Jewish woman on <laughs> international. When's International Jewish Women's Day? International Barbara Jewish Stra- It's Barbara Streisand's birthday, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. One's ba- one's Babs's birthday. <laughs> Every day, in my Every opinion. Every day. God, well, we certainly. Well, we will certainly celebrate her every day and celebrating Lee Lamar and all the women out there for International Women's Day and trying to have a a conversation that I we've never had. uh, We've never talked one on one, whether on Clubhouse uh, or had a Clubhouse chat or anything. It's usually just, you know, hostilities and me trying to clout chase off you on Clubhouse and failing, um, you know, as you were sending up to uh, to Icon and and Avatar status. Um, But getting to discuss these taught societal and philosophical issues with you that were portrayed by a few really interesting pieces of content that I think everybody out there should take a look at. And obviously, you know, the point of that is to see them and agree with everything that we say. Um, so that's a good use of your time. But uh, Leah. Yeah, I, I, I just do find it amazing because having a conversation with you is like listening to the movie Tar on 2X. I was just like, <laughs> quickly, I just don't understand the headache. I have to go to a show right now. Uh, you know, I, I, I do strike you as as uh, you know a lesbian, a, you know a, a lesbian a conductor. Lesbian. Who, yeah, as a lesbian conductor, who would ab- abuse a six year old child? You know, that's that's who I relate to. Yeah, I could see that for you and me. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Thank you so much. I, I definitely regret doing this podcast. And, Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> that, that was the intent. Yeah. Was get, get some regret out there. You're, you're too, you're riding too high, married, fell in love. And I was like, wait a second, there's too much positivity from yeah, Leah. We have to come drag her down into our morass a little bit. Talk about some kind of deep, heavy societal, but you, you enjoyed seeing rich people vomit and, and crap all over themselves and triangle of sadness. So at least yeah, you were able to see one of them. <laughs> exactly. You're, you're well on your way. Um, and to that, that end, uh, tell everybody where they can find you. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Leah Lamar, L-E-A-H-L-A-M-A-R-R. My website is also leahlamar.com if you want to stalk me to find show dates. Uh, we'll be at four, not only in the U.S., but also in Europe soon. So just uh, keep your eyes peeled. I don't know where your fans are, Matt, but I assume this is worldwide famous podcast. Worldwide. For some reason, I have a, a, a somewhat of a big following in Portugal. All this, everybody out there in Portugal, if you haven't stalked Leah Lamar, this is your invitation. Hey, Portugal. Love you. Mwah. Yeah, we're, we're going to get you to Lisbon. <laughs> Um, That's what people are, so I probably know everyone there. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you do. Big, big in Portugal, Matt Belinsky, Leah Lamar, big in Portugal. Everybody, thanks, thank you so much for joining us. This is the prevailing narrative. I am Matt Belinsky. Once again, you can listen and subscribe to The Prevailing Narrative on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. Make sure to follow me on my socials at Matt Belinsky, M A T T B I L I N S K Y. Thanks once again so much, everybody. This is The Prevailing Narrative. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.